we're bringing Australian true crime live to Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne this July. And I have to tell you that Brisbane sold out already. Good for you, Brisbane. So we've quickly added a second show. Now, we can't keep adding more shows, so please make sure you get your tickets. Our special guests are forensic criminologist Santhi Mallet in Brisbane and Sydney and the one and only Charlie Bazina in Melbourne. There'll be a QA, and a of course, so you can ask your own burning questions on the night, but you have to book quickly. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com slash covered. This is a true crime podcast, as the title suggests. So please consider this your warning, that it's not suitable for children. And it probably will contain content that may be triggering to some people. Also, it's an Australian true crime podcast, so Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners should be aware it may contain the voices of deceased people. The producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. It just comes into your dreams. Still does now. Like I just would dream about like different ways that she's been murdered, him coming in like me, trying to find her. Like it just infiltrates you. Like you can't get away from it. Like it's your life. And, again, it's something that so many people with missing loved ones go through. It's the worst. It's hell on earth having your loved one missing. I am an optimist by nature. But I really do think that had Tina Greer been born just a few years later, it could have made a very big difference to the way things have turned out for her and for our guest today, her daughter, Lily. We still have a long way to go, I know, when it comes to eradicating the issues these two came up against. 
and to building a safe and equitable society in Australia for women and girls. But Lily, who's still a breathtakingly young woman, has witnessed incredible changes in our country's cultural makeup and she isn't afraid to take advantage of them. She has a confidence I think her mother would be incredibly proud of and probably a bit in awe of. The forces that created Lily's mum in a lot of ways and definitely contributed to how Tina saw herself just don't wield the power or the influence in this country that they once did. Those privileges have been lost to them in a relatively short period of time considering how long they had them. Institutions that were unquestionable in Australia simply aren't anymore. And in their place, people like Lily have seized opportunities to change our perceptions of what people deserve in this life. Lily has made great use of social media and today she podcasts with us to continue her fight for her mum and to support other families like theirs. She was raised Jehovah's Witness, uh, as was I for a period of time when she didn't have custody of me. Uh, so obviously that has its own whole set of circumstances and ways that you view the world. And I believe that influenced her relationships a lot in terms of like her perspectives on men. I'm not religious anymore, just putting that out there. Um, it's a very intense form of Christianity, essentially, and it's quite strict in comparison to some forms of Christianity, so you can't watch like violent stuff, no magic, no birthdays, no Easter, nothing like pagan. You can't be like patriotic, no singing of the national anthem. They're very strict rules about who you can socialize with. And essentially they believe that Armageddon is coming and then all the people will be wiped out. However, if you're a Jehovah's Witness or you weren't like, didn't get a chance to be one, you'll be resurrected and then there'll be a paradise on earth. You're not supposed to have close relations with people that aren't in the congregation because they're known as worldly and could have bad influence on you. That's the basics of it, but it's also very, as most religions, um, male-dominated and there's not much room for women to have a voice or any power. And this is a typical view of the man's the head of the house. Her mum died when she was 16, I believe, from melanoma, and then she kind of had to look after her brothers and her life started really, it just wasn't a great start, I suppose. So you can kind of see how what happened. You can kind of see that it started from a young age. The thing with Jehovah's Witnesses is because you don't, it's not welcomed to like be very close with non-religious people, your community support is very limited. And if you leave that, you're basically just out on your own. So, for instance, she was sexually assaulted by a member of the church. So it was a hard start, but she was so bubbly and positive despite it all. Like everyone has their bad days, but she was just such like a charismatic person and that wasn't like the focus of her life and she really did an amazing job at like still cultivating like so much happiness. And then she obviously had me when she was 19, so that's quite young but she threw herself into it. So she and my dad met, they, they didn't stay together. And then, yeah, that, that was kind of her introduction to life. And then she had issues with alcohol and domestic violence, hence why I got taken away. Uh, so child services was involved. How old were you when you were taken from her custody? Six-ish, I believe. And when you say that she had alcohol problems and there was domestic violence do you mean that she was violent 
Um, I believe she defended herself, but it was mainly a slew of violent partners. She wasn't violent towards you? No, no. Basically, oh, I'm going to say like 98% of her relationships were abusive. I think that, yeah, once you're exposed to like violence and such traumatic upbringings, it's hard to know what's correct behaviour and to be, I guess, influenced positively. I've always just felt like my mum's protector, which is not like a healthy thing, but that's just how I was raised. So that just is what it is. She was very good at like protecting me and like I never really got hurt, thank God. Um, And I think that it was probably for the best for a period of time that I didn't live with her because it was so unsafe. And then, yeah, for about six years, she was learning to be a good parent, doing all the courses, doing all the things, ticking all the boxes, regaining custody. It, at the beginning it was monitored. It was one of those like two-hour things and then gradually you get more rights as you go through it and I was spending weekends with her and then obviously we were a bit rebellious so she would <laughs> uh, sneak and drive literally two hours to come see me after school for 20 minutes. Like we were so close throughout that time. Like I have a whole stack of letters that we would write each other. I had like a secret phone because I wasn't supposed to be talking to her. Like that's, I'm so grateful that we did that because those are like my best memories with her and that kept us close. And also she didn't have really anybody else because she was experiencing such an abusive relationship where each other's lifelines, I suppose you could say. You must have been racked with worry when you weren't together about how she, if she was okay. Yes. And the difficult thing is because it was a secret that I knew that all this was happening, I couldn't tell anyone and it would jeopardise like the custody situation. So, yeah, when we, she would tell me about it like pretty openly because I guess she, I was all she had, vice versa. You're her best friend. Yeah, that, that is the relationship. So, yes. It was this constant dynamic of what should I do? I can't do anything because I'm a child and I can't tell anyone. It was extremely hard. Um, So there was a lot of instances where she did disclose violence and literally say goodbye because she thought she was going to be murdered. And in that situation, I couldn't do anything. And she's also like two hours away. I'm like a 10-year-old. It's very full-on stuff, yeah. But... Yes, so she did regain custody. We moved into a little granny flat, very modest, started decorating. It was just like life is looking up. Yeah, amazing. And you're like 12, 13, like. Yeah, yeah. Get more freedom because I'm not like in this religion. We're like, well, I can watch Harry Potter. (laughs) Just small things like that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, when you talk about getting some freedom, I mean, that, yeah, your getting freedom was amazing. Yeah. You literally could read the books that everyone else was reading yeah. and have a birthday. Yeah, and Christmas, like we got um, to spend Christmas together. Was she in a relationship at that time? So she had broken it off and, and she had come from just living with him to us getting our own place. And obviously this man, uh, extremely violent, controlling and obsessive. Did you know him? Had you met him? Had you seen him? Did you know what you were up against? Yeah, so, so sorry, I was 13, but I had known him since I was like 10. Um, I knew him well. I'd say that because they lived together, I'd say that that property, like I had been in the car, they had like some sort of argument and we were on the passenger side and he was just trying to scare us and like veer off to the side and just psycho behaviour. But, yeah, I knew him well. Um, people had witnessed him trying to run her over and his ute tray actually hit her and she flew up in the air from his car. So that's attempted murder? Yep, nothing was done. 
and there's multiple witnesses that all went to the police. Obviously, at the time, she just said, no, I'm okay because she is going to go back and live with the men. So what can you do in that situation? So it didn't just end, like, despite her leaving, it doesn't end. And that's most cases, actually. I just saw a statistic yesterday that most violence, it's increased by, like, 35% after you leave. So that was definitely the case here. And he started stalking this house and the violence was, I wouldn't say heightening because it was always really extreme violence, but it was getting yeah, dangerous and he was lashing out because she had left and making threats and our car was vandalised, all that type of stuff. How long had they been together? It was about three years. So, again, she didn't have a job for the their entirety of their relationship and he had made her financially reliant on him. So I believe she would have still been relying on him for income or money or help. And also you're trying to appease the guy. And also she didn't know, and we didn't know that it was him stalking us. We had no clue who it was. So we were actually, it was a a tactic from him though. You can see like really clearly now that like he's trying to get her back through fear. So he's successfully convinced both of you basically that someone else is stalking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had no idea who it was. What's so ironic is he actually would come to protect us. It's so smart on his behalf to do that though because it's like, yeah, it worked. So something would happen, the car would be vandalised or whatever, scare the shit out of the two of you and then Les would come over. Mm-mm. Sorry, I speak about it as fact, like, oh, he was talking to us, but, yeah, we didn't, we had no idea. And it's just through looking at everything, it's like, oh, yeah, it, it, who else was it? Like nobody else has motive. Okay, so what you're saying is it's never been proven that it was him, but now in the years since you've put the pieces together and this is your working theory? And police's, yeah. And police's working theory. So he's sort of tapping into, well, you should come back and live here and then you'll be safe. Yep. You need me. Yeah, it's like I'm scared for my life from a stranger but as well as you, but it's like the evil that you know, right? Yes. Yeah, and also like she needs his tools. Like there's a few things that lead into it, but this is all almost domestic violence relationships. There's never, it's never a clean break. How long were you together in the, in the granny flat? What happened? We lived there. I think we moved in at the beginning of December and then she went missing on the 18th of January. So it was a very short time, yeah. Very sad. So you got one Christmas. Yeah. And you didn't get to go to school yet. You were getting ready to go back to school. Yes. So the last day I had with her, we were doing school shopping for high school. Actually, I'm sure that was a really proud day for your mum, actually, as as lame and annoying as shopping for school stuff is and expensive. But from her perspective, I reckon she would have felt really um, good about herself that day, actually, to be finally the one taking you shopping for your school stuff, that would have been a momentous day. Yeah, it was one of those, it's just a key life thing, I suppose, that we didn't get to do for this past six years together. So because we were being stalked, the car was vandalised and we didn't have any money, so we didn't have a washing machine. So she thought, I'll go use his tools to sand back the car so it doesn't rust and do our washing. At his house? Yes, which is about two hours, an hour and a half away. So she dropped, um, and we went with my friend and her mum at the time as well. So she dropped us all back. I got some clothes for a sleepover. She's going to spend the night at Les's house. I'm going to spend the night at my friend's house. Then she's going to come back the next day, pick me and my friend up. We're going to have another sleepover. And she was supposed to come back at 5 p.m. on the Thursday. 
And, yeah, the Wednesday was the last time I saw her. She had arranged to come at about five. So my friend and I were actually being really naughty, I suppose. that, Or my mum would have been angry at me because she was very protective. So we had went to this park in, like, Canungra area. It's called, like, Sharp Park. Like, we want to go swimming. And then for some reason her mum, the girl's mum, was like, yeah, but you have to walk back. So she, maybe she thought that that would like deter us from wanting to go. <laughs> but we're like, no, we'll go. And for some reason we didn't even pack shoes. So it was super weird. So we walked back for like two hours across Beachmont Canungra area. And I was so worried the whole time because my mom would have been like, what are you doing on the road walking back? <laughs> You're 13, woman. Um, <laughs> and her car was going to be coming that way. So I was like the whole time, like, oh, my God, I was like, we need to run home because I'm going to get in trouble when we're being naughty. And... Yeah, we actually took a long time to get home and I was like, she should have come on this road by now. And she was also really, like, active text-wise, like, I'm going to be three minutes late, Lily, like that type of thing. And then that just never happened. So who eventually reported your mum missing? Her, my mum's friend and the the mum of the other girl that I was with. The girl that you were staying with? Yeah. It was... And not until the 21st that she was actually reported missing because I think also with Les, he's a motorcycle club member, so there's a lot of fear with everyone that knows the dynamic of, like, are we going to be negatively impacted by talking to police about this if it's a false alarm? Like, all of that stuff was going around. Has she run away? So that contributed to, like, it being drawn out as to when they were going to report her missing, which is really bad um, when you think of the timelines of when you need to find a person. So what So what did you do? You just stayed at that girl's house that night? and Yeah, I ended up staying there for another like three, four months. They ended up having some like custody of me for a while and then things got really bad, obviously like emotionally, like my whole world just collapsed in front of me. So I thought uh, my life is going in a really bad direction. I need to leave here because this is not like a healthy environment for a kid to grow up. And so I then moved in with my uncles. There's like a denial. I knew it was bad, but for, for a while I thought, oh, she's gotten away, like because it's bushland around his property. Like there's not many neighbours. And it's weird because at that time it was really, it was like a rainy season um, in January. So I was like, oh, my God, like I just had thought she had gotten away and I was like, oh, I hope she's not like cold in the rain. Like that was just like my child brain thinking like, oh, she's gotten away because she was really tough as well. Like she could stand up for herself to a degree, obviously like when someone's like physically abusing you, you like try and protect yourself and like she was still a very tough woman so I thought oh maybe she's like gotten away from him yeah how old was she by that stage she was only 32 at the beginning they thought because of the nature of her background and who she was dating oh she's probably ran away and it wasn't taken seriously but when you know the story and the lengths that we had gone to to have this new life it's just not a possibility did it fall to you to explain that to police and to other people to say, no, she hasn't run off? You don't understand what it meant to her to be here in this situation. I was only interviewed once by police until I was until 2020, actually, which is pretty concerning. And I still don't have my I only have a summary of my interview as a 13-year-old. But I had told them the things like he's gonna murder her. There's cameras on the property, like just full indeed. It was in everyone's mind that knew, probably not some of my family members, they probably had assumed like maybe she's run off um, or maybe they wanted to believe that. 
uh, everyone else, though, that was like aware of the situation was it's like it is 100% him and he has done this and she's told me he's literally going to do this. Who else is standing up for your mum? My mum's friend was and my godmother were very much so advocates for her at the time. But the thing is, because she's not an ideal victim, like the only part that makes her like that she ticks that box is that where she was white and pretty. Other than that, she's not an ideal victim in the eyes of the police or the media at the time, especially. So it wasn't reported on too favorably, favorably, I can't say it. Um, but I think everyone just kind of shut down. That's kind of my family's response to these things. And yeah, I couldn't do anything because I was a kid. So yeah, it was hard. But a lot of people were saying it's him and they had all of these police reports of them attending due to domestic violence, all of these types of things, me saying it. And what's crazy is he actually came to the property where I was staying that night before we were all interviewed, probably as like an intimidation tactic. He came to see you? Yeah. Knocked on the door and said, can I see Lily, please? And the parents, like to talk to them. Yeah, like he came a few times over the pub, like where and I lived there. Yeah, like just full on like psycho behaviour. <laughs> As you'd expect, Lily's teen years were definitely affected by her early childhood trauma. We'll hear more about that after the break. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Our guest today is Lily Greer, who's dedicated her life to defending her mum, Tina. Of course, none of us plans for our children to ever feel they have to defend us, but it happens, and this story, as extreme as it is, is a good reminder of the toll it takes on kids. What Lily's about to tell us about her teenage years might ring a bell with you, and if it does, please access some of the many support services available. 
They might not be perfect, but they might make all the difference. So I went downhill. Imagine like anyone would. My whole like world's just been taken from me. But again, like denial, wanting to think that she's still alive. But after a certain amount of time, you're like, she's definitely not. And she has so much fire that she would have found a way back if she was alive type of thing. Um, So for a long time, I didn't, I guess, cope healthily. I self-harmed a lot. I was very suicidal, but it was that 1% chance like she might be alive. So don't die. You got to just keep going for her in case she's alive. And I was keeping her clothes, like she's going to need them if she comes back type of thing. But then the years pass and she's, yeah, it's very obvious she's dead. And then for a while I just put all my energy into like trying to do school and just, yeah, being busy and not processing it as what it was because my family aren't the like talkers and just like get on with your life. So I tried to do that for a long time, just the type of thing like keep busy and distract yourself all the time like yeah they talk about that a lot about this idea of staying in the moment being in the moment and how hard that is for people who've had traumatic childhoods because you put so much energy into getting out of the moment like the moment is so difficult that yeah you develop a lot of strategies to distract yourself from the moment and it's definitely not healthy like it comes to bite you in the ass like what I have is like complex PTSD because it's just been like years of this, like growing up with that. But um, it just comes into your dreams. Like that's how it still does now. Like I just would dream about like different ways that she's been murdered, him coming in, like me trying to find her. Like it just infiltrates you. Like you can't get away from it. Like it's your life. And again, it's something that so many people with missing loved ones go through. It's the worst. It's hell on earth having a loved one missing. So then... I finally get the opportunity. I'm an adult. I'm thinking like, I can't just keep putting this to the side. Like this is wrong what happened and it's not being looked at properly. And I find out that he dies um, in 2018. He died in a car accident. So that's a really unfortunate part about these cases. Like the main suspect has died, but they believe that he had help. He was never formally interviewed by police. No. So he refused to interview like go to interview but the thing is um what a police officer also told me which is the police were very apprehensive to convict people at that time because I don't know her name but there was a girl that was found on like a someone had been prosecuted and then the police actually found the girl like she jumped out of a cupboard in a search Just dropping in here to say that although neither of us could remember the specifics of this story at the time, I did retrieve them later, and it's an incredible story. Lily was talking about the case of 14-year-old Natasha Ryan from Rockhampton in Queensland, who was reported missing in August 1998. Her boyfriend, Scott Black, was of interest to police for a short period of time. He was a bit older than Natasha. He was 21. But his alibi checked out. And there were some other things going on around town that drew police's attention. Three other local women had disappeared around the same time. Beverly Lego, Sylvia Benedetti and Julie Turner. And this created the impression that Natasha may have been caught up in a serial killer's web. It wasn't the kind of stuff the salt of the earth Rockhampton natives were used to, but there was another hideous fact no one could deny. A local man called Leonard Fraser was back in jail for rape about a year after Natasha's disappearance. He'd earned himself the nickname the Rockhampton Rapist. 
and while they had him in custody, police managed to charge him with the murders of four women after they found some of their belongings in his possession, including three of the women's ponytails. During the subsequent investigation, Fraser confessed to the murder of Natasha Ryan, as well as to the murders of Beverly Lego, Sylvia Benedetti, and to the manslaughter of Julie Turner. But it was during his trial for these crimes in 2003 that the incredible twist in the story of Natasha Ryan materialised. Police prosecutor Paul Rutledge stood in court to announce that Fraser was in fact not guilty of the murder of Natasha Ryan. He knew this because Natasha had been found alive and well the night before, hiding in a cupboard at her boyfriend Scott Black's house. Yes, Scott Black, the same boyfriend she'd had when she disappeared five years earlier. Remarkably, police learned that Natasha and Scott had lived for a significant period of that time in Rockhampton, sometimes just four kilometres away from her grieving parents. Natasha told police that whenever anyone came to the door, she simply hid in a cupboard. No doubt there's a lot more to this and we'd love to do an episode about it. So if you're listening, Natasha, and you'd like to tell your story, please let us know because we wouldn't tell it without you. Okay, back to Lily and Tina's story now. So they were like very apprehensive to convict people without bodies. But you've also got to remember that he had three days before his property was searched to get rid of her. The thing about this and Les is, yes, he's a known criminal. He then goes and buys a new mattress the next day on the Thursday, queen-size mattress, seen at a petrol station going and getting these black plastic bags on the 20th. That will be the Friday, I believe it was. He gets a friend to to go to the dump, take the queen-size mattress to the dump and other waste. And, yeah, he's like a known criminal with all of this. So you've got all of this paired with the fact that her car is found seven, eight kilometres from his house. She's supposed to turn right to come get me. That's left at a dead-end lookout. All of her stuff's in the car, her phone's in the car, the washing's not done and the car's standing back. Paired with the neighbours reporting that they heard a woman like yelling and saw a car driving around slowly like in torchlights or whatever that night prior on the Wednesday night. So there's all of these things that think like it's this man, like everything is pointing to him yet he's never gives a formal interview and I don't even know. Uh, Was that dump searched? Like do we know what happened to the mattress? Like all of these things are just still you think, what were the police doing? Maybe they did do their due diligence, but I haven't heard about it. Yeah, maybe if a really thorough investigation had taken place, things would be different. But, I mean, you know, that's all you're asking for at the moment, to my mind, is can we just cover the basics? Yeah, and in saying that, we don't know because I haven't received all the evidence yet in terms of what they did. It's either missing or they just haven't sent it through. So maybe they did, but uh, everything that I can see so far leads me to, no, they didn't. Uh, until after he died. Then it ramped up and then there was a reward and I got more involved with it and then it went back to being uh, like a cold case. Homicide just exhausted their options and then it went to the coroner's court and this is where we talk about what happened last year. It was with the coroner for like a year, so obviously they're like over inundated with like deciding how people died so I was calling them for like a year, like, have you made a decision? What happened? Is it going to be an inquest? And I just assumed it would be an inquest because of all of these unanswered questions. And the first coroner 
who wrote the coronial report said, no inquest, not in the public interest, her death could not have been prevented. And after just hearing all of these situations and services that let her down, it's very clear that uh, her death definitely could have been prevented. All domestic violence deaths can be prevented with early intervention and education uh, and resources. (laughs) So to read that, I just thought, are you fucking joking? Sorry, excuse my language. No, go for it. So many people were aware that it was violent and she was not offered any resources or help. So whilst it was basically common knowledge to the police as well, nothing was ever done. And also with all of these facts, because I didn't have any of these, but then I had the report that was like a summary of all of this. I was just like, what? So I thought, yeah, like we've got to get public interest and this is the purpose of uh, coronial inquests for the rest of the community. Yeah, is is for the coroner's reports and their suggestions to happen enough times for them to actually be implemented. For the coroners all around Australia to say enough times this could have been prevented if these measures had been implemented, if there was more funding in these areas, if these institutions communicated better, if these people were better trained and all of that. Like that's the purpose. This is why we now have seatbelts in cars and why kids wear helmets on bikes, you know, because coroner's reports just kept saying too many people are dying in these accidents and this is how we can change that. And that's why we need people like you usually to agree and to cooperate with the coroner's inquest, not to have to fight so hard to get one. You know, this is it's important to you for your own personal reasons, but it's really important to our society and this is why we have to support it. It's a major systemic issue and it's very alarming as well how undereducated the people in the coroner's office are about domestic violence, which was very apparent in all of my communication with them. You're making decisions about people who have died due to domestic violence and you don't even know anything about it and the inner workings of coercive control. How -hmm. can you be saying this about this woman? Like you, it's your job to know about these things and you don't and you're so speaking so disgustingly to like family members. It's it's a whole thing that they just had an inquiry about that I, I also spoke in that just thinking like how you have zero trauma-informed knowledge or education. In Queensland Police, is that the inquiry you're talking about? The inquiry was into how victims of crime are treated. Right. So it was into all of it. I remember reading about um, former members saying that they heard other police saying, oh, don't go out to that one. She always rings and then... She always goes back yeah. to him. And then she dies. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's like not in the 70s. That was like recently they were having these conversations. Yeah. That was another inquiry that was done last year, which the inquiry is over like 400 pages. There's like so many recommendations and they're all so valid and like the, yeah, it's well documented that the Queensland police have a horrible culture and views towards domestic violence. But it's so sad because like you think, oh, the coroner's court's going to like keep them in check. And, like, thankfully now, it's. I'm hoping it will, but to have to fight that hard and to literally write, like, peer-reviewed, as in, like, use resources and because people don't listen to you because you're just that murdered mum's daughter. So how did you turn this from, no, we don't need an inquest into, yes, we're having one? So started the Tina Greer Project, which is, like, where we are today and made it my mission to get people interested and care about her and the case and all of the injustices and the easiest way I thought, well, petition, like signatures, people, public interest and also meeting with the Attorney General. And thankfully there's so many clear missed opportunities in this case that you can't argue with fact. 
you just can't argue with it. And if you're loud enough and the media gets involved, then everyone thinks like, what? And the more people that are contacting the coroner's officers saying like, what is going on here, excluding me, like I didn't have to even start talking to them at the end because all the journalists were doing it and just applying too much pressure to them. She dropped her daughter at a friend's home, then vanished. Gold Coast mum Tina Greer's violent bikey boyfriend is the only suspect in her murder. But Queensland's coroner's court is refusing to hold an inquest. Like, we're not going to be quiet about this case because you've written in your coronial report all of these missed opportunities and, like, the reasons why you have an inquest are the person's gone, we don't know what happened to them and there's nobody. Future deaths can be prevented and there were suspicious circumstances leading up to it. I think those are the three. Um which is her, her case clearly satisfies it all. So you just can't argue with it, even though they tried to. Because most families, it's so, like, draining to go through it. And, like, even family members of mine are just, like, move on with your life. So they rely on people being too tired and traumatised to just know. <laughs> like, it's not on. But that's what they rely on. They just rely on, like, the bureaucracy feel like it's so much paperwork and just yeah like I had to get lawyers I had met the attorney general and then obviously educating yourself in this sector like if you don't know anything about domestic violence then you can't advocate for the person who's died due to that so yeah it was like a long seven months but thankfully having that much like awareness public awareness public support started a change.org petition got like 23,000 signatures and just really put myself like blasted it everywhere and then going and speaking to the attorney general she then recommended because like I obviously appealed 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 and then it goes to the Queensland coroner makes the final decision and then thankfully he said yes inquest God. so do you have a date yeah yeah 5th of August so soon how it currently is is because they want to make lots of recommendations and there's issues that will be explored the current way that it's being looked at is very much so like, oh, what can we do like to fix it, which is great, but I still want to find her. Yeah, we want persons of interest. Yeah. Or associates of. Yes. So like the man that dumped the mattress. He's on yes. the list. The list of witnesses was like five originally. So we've I've, we've tried to make it like 20 at the moment because I still very yeah. much so <laughs> trying to find out where she is. Whilst these recommendations are great, my focus is still like, we still want to find out what happened. Yeah, so it's just like this constant. Ugh. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going grey, but I believe like I can find out whether or not we find out during the inquest. It's like what people don't understand is I have nothing to lose. So it's like even if a lot of people are like, are oh, you prepared for the worst outcome, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't stop here for me. Like she was my world, still is, and this is all I've ever known. So obviously like adults and other family members are like put it behind you and I'm like no this is my life and I'm never stopping and also so so you've made this your career actually this um sector yes so the it's very um serendipity is definitely a thing so the day that I found out that there wasn't going to be an inquest and that she had technically died due to this man was the day I got offered the job (laughs) so I was just like the world is so funny um I work in the domestic violence space now and just for my own like peace of mind and having to grow up with people saying such negative things and well she should have left why didn't she like it's her fault she's dead essentially like she knew what she was getting into and it's like nobody chooses to die 
unless they commit suicide, like domestic violence isn't a choice, you know? Yeah, so it's kind of my whole, like, purpose (laughs) now is to not only domestic violence but, like, missing persons and homicide. It's just such a hectic area with so many families going through such horrible experiences and the systems built around them are just built for them to fail. That's what I was wondering about other families. Is is there another case that's inspiring you? There's someone else's success that you can kind of really look at and it can keep you going? I think it's like we all keep each other going, I suppose. Like there's a really good community of people around me. So I'm in touch with Queensland Victims Homicide Assist. So you have I have like a peer support lady whose son, her name's Leanne Pullen, um, and her son Tim Pullen, similar situation. He's never been found either, but his murderers are one of them is in jail, I believe. Um, so similar, like she's been through a very similar experience. And she was the one that said, no, go to the media. Like they can really get this heated up for you. She was like, don't be quiet. Victim support groups are amazing, aren't they? They always say it's the club you never want to join. You would never want anyone else to have to join it, but it's there's no support like it. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I feel closer to these people than my family. Um, like it's like a new <laughs> dead family members club. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And you can make the weird jokes that no yeah. one else gets. That's what everyone always says. Yeah. There's the only place you can have our sense of humour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also there's another really great community of people, the missing persons community. Uh, so there's a charity called Mist, which is run by Lauren O'Keefe. And then she's connected me with like, you know, like the Levinson family, like Maddie Levinson. And um, I've had a chat with Mark Levinson the other day and he's very inspirational. Like they rallied so hard for their son. Yeah. So people like that, it's like, yes. And like, if they can do it, I can do it type of thing. But I think you also have the capacity to create the change in terms of saving lives. The conversations and taking women seriously in their conversations and what you were saying before about letting people know about the support systems that are available and... Yeah. My mum, she would have had no idea that there was such a thing as a refuge even. Yeah. It's like so sad. Like it's like these services are so good but people need to know they exist. It's really hard, it seems, for to break the cycle and the habit or to understand how love works if it doesn't come with violence, it seems. Yeah, it's definitely a thing that's generational, I believe. Thankfully for me, I've I've seen exactly what not to do and the red flags and how like deadly it is. But often if you are treated a certain way growing up, that's all you think you deserve. And um, my mum, I think she didn't think she deserves better. Yeah, I don't plan on stopping um, being and working in this space and the Teen Career Project is very much so um, going to be the main fixture of my life moving forward. Yeah. Do you think about that, what it will grow into when this part of it is done? Yeah, so I started it for her and to get awareness, but I also want the goal, like the kind of slogan that I have for it is um, conversations that provoke change in terms of domestic violence, missing persons and homicide. So I guess my big plans and goals for it, but it's just working in like the advocacy space and educating people and creating a community for other people that are going through these experiences and hopefully making it better for people in the future so it's not this traumatic and just being like a positive voice in it all.
Thank you to our guest today, Lily Greer. You'll find links to Lily's socials in the show notes to this episode and on our social media pages. And we'll definitely keep you up to date with the inquest into Tina's disappearance. If you need support after listening to this podcast, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or contact 1800 RESPECT on 1800 737 732 or 1800respect.org.au. Indigenous Australians can contact 13 Yarn on 139276 or 13yarn.org.au. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. We're bringing Australian True Crime live to Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne this July and I have to tell you that Brisbane sold out already. Good for you, Brisbane. So we've quickly added a second show. Now, we can't keep adding more shows, so please make sure you get your tickets. Our special guests are forensic criminologist Santhi Mallet in Brisbane and Sydney and the one and only Charlie Bazina in Melbourne. There'll be a Q&A, of course, so you can ask your own burning questions on the night, but you have to book quickly. 